Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. It was a busy off-season for Shocker Nation. Taylor and I will give you all the information you need to get ready for the upcoming year. We'll also be joined by C.J. Moore, who covers college basketball for The Athletic and had a great piece on the Shockers and the rebuilding efforts. Big show for you coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Happy to be with you for season six of the Talk Angry podcast. My second season next to the best beat writer in the AAC, Kansas.com's Taylor Eldridge. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for the introduction. I'm excited to, to get basketball back in our lives. Well, usually, you know, the season ends in March and there might be a few roster changes, but then it's just this dead period and we're waiting for the non-conference schedule. There's no excitement whatsoever. Not that way this year. The Shockers have given you plenty to talk about this offseason. How has it been? Yeah, I thought, you know, I thought I'd have a little break after the season ended in March and you know, it turns around. It turns out when you have to replace, you know, nine nine players, you have all this recruiting news. Two assistant coaches leave. You have to replace those. So yeah, just a whirlwind of a of a off season for the Shockers. And uh, I just had a story today on Kansas.com where you know this summer is is about as important of a summer as Wichita State has had in in you know this Greg Marshall era and. You know, just getting all these new guys up to speed, getting the new coaches, you know, acclimated to the system, how they run things. And uh, this is uh, it's been a crazy off season, But, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement, a lot of hope uh, j- just because there, there's so many new pieces. Uh, it's just people are, are thinking about what could be right now. And I think it's an exciting time for Wichita State. And uh, it will definitely be interesting to see how they, they do against, you know, the American competition. There's been so many storylines this offseason. Let's just go ahead and dig right into it. You obviously have the departure of the six seniors who are all playing overseas professionally, and we can uh, talk about that a little later. You have Landry Shamit that goes in the first round to the 76ers, and also uh, several players transferring, most notably Austin Reeves goes to OU. Now, I... I want to. My question for you is this: A lot of folks uh, with the departures and different things like that, even the coaching staff departures, were saying, you know, what's wrong or what's going on or what's happening with this program. But I think with every single one of these individual situations, you can explain the reasoning behind that, and that might m- not make sense to the folks on the blogs or to the folks on Twitter or different things like that. But I think this program is in just as good of a spot as where we left it in March. Yeah, uh, you look at all the departures, and you know I think it was like eleven of the eleven of the fifteen players on roster last year are gone, and uh, I think it's eleven out of seventeen actually. And you know that's a that's a big number. It sounds scary when you when you don't have the context, but once you put those numbers into context, you know you have six seniors that were graduating. 
Landry Shamet left to be a first-round draft pick. Uh, you know, Brett Barney and Caleb Malone, two walk-ons, they leave to go play. Uh, kind of a testament to just how much talent was on last year's roster. These are walk-ons on Wichita State, and now they're both getting scholarships to play Division One basketball. Brett Barney got to a D1 offer uh, from Omaha, and then Caleb Malone recently just went to Oral Roberts. So uh, that's pretty cool to see, you know, walk-ons be able to, to go play, finish their careers, play Division One basketball, get playing time, and get their school paid for too. So that, that was pretty cool. And that leaves, you know, the two transfers on scholarship, C.J. Kaiser, it just wasn't a good fit for either either side, and they decided to move on from each other. You know, you get about one of those for every program. And then Austin Reeves, you know, Coach Marshall said it, you know, kind of summarized it perfectly himself. He was really surprised, didn't see that one coming. That was like the first transfer in, you know, his 20 years of coaching that, that kind of took him by surprise. So um, really, you know, it's not, it's not concerning. I think the fans – kind of, you know, they see that big number and, and they get worried and they wonder, oh, this is a mass exodus, something's wrong with the program, something has to be wrong, why are all these people leaving? And, you know, I think when you put it, put the numbers in context and, and see what everyone's situation was, I think it makes a lot more sense. And then you look at the assistants, you know, Kyle Lindstedt, he goes, takes more money, uh, goes to a Power 5 conference uh, in Minnesota. Uh, so, you know, he has a a huge family to support, so that makes sense for him. And then Donnie Jones, you know, going back home and, uh, you know, coaching with one of his best coaching friends, I think that makes sense uh, for him at Dayton. So um, bring in the new guys, Luke Godino and Tyson Waterman. I think those are two exciting additions. You know, Tyson Waterman was a star point guard for Coach Marshall back in his Winthrop days. He knows what to expect. He knows what it's like to be that floor general. And then Lugadino, I mean, he's a, he's an X's and O's guy. Uh, you know, he was Chris Jans' right-hand man last year at New Mexico State. Comes very, very highly recommended by, by Coach Jans. So I think a lot of those, I've seen some of the blog boys, some of the, the people on the, the Internet say they they want – you know, that, that return, someone like Christians. Well, this is the next best thing. Lou Godino, I think, is a, is a great hire. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of fresh faces, and I'm excited to see, you know, how all the, the pieces uh, fit together. Coach Gudino also has a lot of experience in the Valley, was at Indiana State with Greg Lansing prior to working for Coach Jans last year. Probably the one we got the most questions on or that you saw the most action on on Twitter was Austin Reeves departing for Oklahoma. And I have a little theory that I want to run by you. Playing basketball at Wichita State is a little bit of a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in that you're the number one show in town. Everyone is crazy about you. And it's a little bit of a curse in that in the fall, there's really not football to take away the 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 spotlight and everyone and, is crazy about you and everyone is crazy <laughs> about you so exactly you're the number one show in town and and everyone's thinking about that and there were times last year where there were struggles particularly at the end of games and I think you know in where we are in today's world 2018 social media with instant reactions and everyone's an expert and and wants to uh, give their opinion that maybe he didn't have the the best experience from the fans and different things like that so by transferring to Oklahoma He's now has the opportunity just to be a basketball player. He's still playing at a quality D1 program, but I think when you walk around campus and you're at the chicken fillet or wherever you're at, no one's going to be, you know, paying attention to your every single move and it gives him an opportunity just like coach Marshall has in my opinion reset the program and reset the identity of this program back to its defensive ways. It gives him an opportunity to not be, you know, so at that number 1 level all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I don't think we're ever going to hear the, the actual reason, at least made public, and that's that's fine with me. I mean, that's that's uh, Austin Reeves' business. I don't think he he has to come out and say exactly why. I mean, I thought he was very, he handled that uh, pretty well. Uh, I mean, coming out, thanking the fans and uh, hoping they, they understood his decision. And, you know, um, you know, kids just, I mean, they want to be happy. And if he thought he could be happier at o- OU and then, you know, who's to stop him? So I didn't have a problem with that. And um, I wish Austin the best. And I think uh, it'll be, I mean, dealing with him, he was always, always respectful. I, I thought, uh, you know, I was very impressed that he would, you know, take the time always to, to do interviews, even, you know, when he felt like he didn't play the best. You know, after that Maui game um, at Notre Dame, at the end of the game, he felt really, really bad and, you know, missing the free throw and involved in that inbounds pass. But he still took the time to, to give me an interview and, you know, stand up and, you know, kind of own his mistakes. And I thought that that took took a lot from him. So I was was very impressed with Austin. And uh, I think fan, it'll be interesting next year when OU comes to Interest Bank Arena, uh, see how kind of what kind of reaction he gets from Wichita State fans. Um, right now, I feel like it's kind of mixed, but I hope hopefully by the time that it'll all kind of blow over and maybe they'll give him a nice round of applause, but it'll be definitely an interesting reaction because that'll be Austin's first year playing with the Sooners. So what do you think uh, we can expect, you know, a year from now? What, what kind of reaction do you think there will be? I, I think it'll be a positive reaction. As, as many maybe low moments as there were last season, there were also just as many positive moments. You saw the game where he hit, you know, five, six, three-pointers yeah. in a row and couldn't miss and had Kokarina, the, the roof about to come off there. So another thing that maybe wasn't as covered is a lot of his close friends in the program were also leaving. So you had a roommate in Landry Shamit going off to the NBA. You had a roommate in Brett Barney going off to the NBA. You had his freshman roommate, C.J. Kaiser, leaving the program. I don't know how I know so much information about Austin did, Reeves' roommate. When did Brett Barney get into the NBA? Oh, did I say he's going to the NBA? I'm sorry. He's going off to <laughs> Nebraska-Omaha. <laughs> My bad. He, he, but, went, he went to the draft, though. So but anyway, he, he so got close. you got all these guys leaving the program. I, I really just gave him a big uh, upgrade there. And, and, and that's another reason. Shout out to that Brett Barney right hook. Unstoppable. <laughs> Now, another player that I want to talk about that, to steal Fred Van Vliet's word, bet on himself and it paid off was Landry Shamit. You and I were both out in San Diego for the game that shall not be mentioned. And at the end of that, I was thinking, he probably definitely needs to come back. I'm not sure he has uh, you know, gotten himself to the point where he was going to be a first-round draft pick. But here he is in Philly, and uh, things are looking up for Landry. Yeah, I was always of the opinion during the season that, you know, what he was doing for Wichita State, that's not what he's going to be doing in the NBA. So I really liked how he projected to the NBA. Um, I was a little surprised he went as high as he did at number 21, but um, I always thought he was going to be a great fit in the NBA because of his shooting. And just because, I mean, shooting is at such a premium now in in today's game in the NBA, I think uh, just his skill set was just perfect. And uh, I was a little concerned, you know, going through the, the, you know, when he went through the combine and went through the draft process, you know, he didn't have a great uh, a wingspan that kind of stood out. I mean, there were questions about his defense, his athleticism, but, you know, I think he really worked. I think uh, those months out in California just working on his game really made him more explosive. And I think he's going to be a great fit in Philadelphia. I mean, obviously going into a situation where, I mean, you're, you're going on a team that's going to be an Eastern Conference, you know, championship contender for, you know, the foreseeable future. And you get to learn from one of the best in the business and J.J. Redick at, 
as, as a shooter, and then you get to play with two of the best upcoming stars in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So I'm really excited for Landry to see what he can do in the NBA. Um, I think it was a, a, you know, a good decision, but you know, when he made that decision, you know, Wichita State fans, it seemed like it was more uh, kind of like what you said. A lot of people thought he should have stayed in school. So I think uh, at the end of the day, though, I think Wichita State fans can be happy for him. And, you know, that nice contract he just got for, for him and his mom. Last question, just wrapping up all of the departing players. I mentioned all six seniors now playing professionally overseas. Who do you think got the best spot or maybe at least the best place to live? I think uh, the best place to live, I'm going to have to go with Zach Brown in, uh, in France. I'm a big fan of France, and uh, I've been following him on Instagram, and it looks like that's a pretty pretty nice place. Uh, Ronald Nurger would be uh, second place. I, I think Spain is pretty cool, but I, I'd go France first. As, as, in terms of best fit, I think uh, Shaquille Morris, I think he, he hit a home run with his decision to go to the Japan Japan League. Uh, he was originally signed to go to Israel, and then this uh, Japan team came along and bought out his contract. So, um, you know, the, the details were not publicized, but you have to think that he's making pretty good money uh, in that Japan League. Uh, only three foreigners can play. Only two can be on the court at the same time. So he's probably going to get a lot of playing time in that league. And uh, I think he's going to be a star, you know, with just his, his personality, uh, his antics. I think uh, he has all the makings to, to make, a, you know, carve out a really, really nice uh, international career. And uh, I'm excited to see what he does. And I mean, that's a pretty, you know, a, a well-respected league. So I think uh, Shaq is probably the best fit. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll interview C.J. Moore, who covers college basketball for The Athletic, and in his story to compare this year's rebuilding efforts of the Shockers to the rebuilding efforts that led to the 2013 Final Four. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We're joined now by C.J. Moore, who covers college basketball for The Athletic and had a great article on the Shockers and the rebuilding efforts at TheAthletic.com. C.J., how are you today? Hey, doing well. How are you guys doing? We appreciate you taking the time and in an offseason with a lot of new faces. It was nice to read the article and, and hear some updates on Coach Marshall and the program. You had a lot of great quotes in there, some from Chris Jan, some from Steve Dickey, who's the program's character coach. But the one thing I think all those quotes centered on is that Coach Marshall's really digging in and he's already a fiery, passionate guy, but maybe taking that to the next level with this young team. Uh, you know, you've covered him for several years. Do you get the sense that he's more excited or more looking forward to this opportunity? Opportunity to kind of rebuild this program this year? Oh, uh, you know, I think maybe it is a sometimes you need a little shot in the arm or, or something to get you going again. And I think this is a, definitely a challenge for him. Um, I think that, you know, with the group last year, while they had a really, really good year, um, I don't know that they were ever really satisfied with how things were, were going. And so I think this is just kind of a little energy boost, uh, hey, start over, um, you know, def, def, and a huge, huge challenge in front of them. I mean, um, you guys saw the number that I had in the story. I mean, to, to return as little as they return and have a shot at the NCAA tournament, you just don't do that. So it's it's a, it's a great challenge for, for him. And, you know, I think he likes kind of being counted out as the, as the underdog, that, that type of role. So um, it'll, it'll be an interesting year. 
Yeah, CJ, and if, uh, if fans haven't read this story, I would uh, highly suggest going to The Athletic and subscribing. Definitely worth the money. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that stuck out to me in your article was um, last season, right after the, the season ended, uh, Marshall kind of stressed how, you know, this was still, you know, a success. They spent the whole season in the top 25. They still won 25 games. They got a really high seed in, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but the, the thing that kind of stood out to me with your quotes, it sounded like, uh, after kind of reflecting on it, uh, it seemed like he was a little down on how last year went. Was that kind of the, the gist that you got from, from talking to him, you know, a couple months removed? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that he felt like this that group underachieved a little bit from as far as what the expectations were and what maybe what, what his expectations were. Um, you know, I, I, Taylor, you can probably speak to this better than me since you were around it all year. But when, when I, a couple of times I came down there and, um, I just don't think they were satisfied with the way they were defending. And part of it was a, was a personnel problem, but at the same time, that, that same group essentially was, was one of the better defensive teams in the country the year before. So, you know, I think he, he thought that they got that mentality of just trying to outscore people and, you know, if you know Greg Marshall, he he's not going to accept that. So yeah. I think that bothered him. And um, so, yeah, yeah, I think he, he definitely wasn't pleased with, with how the season ended. And I think he, as a coach, you can kind of see that sometimes coming along where, hey, we're, yeah, we're, we're winning games, but this isn't, this isn't the way you get things done in March. And, and his feeling is, you know, sometimes the the ball doesn't always fall in the basket when it, when you get in the NCAA tournament game, you got to be able to stop people, and and they just couldn't do that, and that's that's why I think he feels like they they had an early exit. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at who he's you know retooled this roster with, and uh, it just seems like he's gotten more athleticism, more length. I mean, there's no like crazy height on this team, but I mean, it seems like a lot of these guys are you know six four, six five, six six, long mm-hmm. arms. Uh, better athletes. Uh, just from the the sneak peek that you got, did it does it seem like he has? you know, a, a better equipped roster to get back to that, you know, that play angry style of defense? It does as, as far as having the athleticism, having switchable guys, um, you know, that's always what, what every coach wants these days is guys that can guard across multiple positions, the way the game's changing. That's, that's really, really valuable. They have that, but let me just say they are really, really, really early in the process. And, defensively they're not very good right now just because these guys you know like the the practice I watched they were playing hard but playing hard and playing defense the right way are two different things yeah and they you know he still has a lot a lot of teaching to do but he's about as good as it gets when when it comes to to teaching defense so I think eventually they'll get there and, and they have a chance to be a pretty good defensive team but um, it, it could take a little while, and they might struggle defensively early on. But as, in terms of just strictly athleticism and the, and the bodies, yeah, I, I think they're better equipped this year. But um, you know, getting the mental reps and, and, and figuring out, hey, where I'm supposed to be on every position, possession, how I'm supposed to guard ball screens, um, you know, how to play help defense. These guys are really, really young, and, and that's that's going to take a little while for them to get it. 
We've touched on this a little bit already, but there's nine new scholarship players that enter the program this year. Shocker fans will certainly need a program for those first couple games sure. out of the gate. Uh, from, from your view at practice or in your discussion with Coach Marshall, were there any of those newcomers specifically that he mentioned or that stuck out to you as, you know, might be high ceiling guys or folks that fans need to yeah. keep an eye out for? Yeah, I think Dexter Dennis is probably the one that they're most excited about. Um, real smooth-looking 6'5", wing. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he's a great shooter yet, but he has a nice-looking shot, if that makes any sense. Like, the mechanics are good. It's smooth. Um, you know, I think he has a chance to be a pretty good shooter, pretty good defender, and, and you know, a guy that can, can put it on the floor a little bit as well. So he's probably, you know, the guys I just – from watching one practice, and I'd say, again, that's just one practice, but he, he probably – Maybe he has the highest potential of, of, of any guys on the team. Um, another guy that was is kind of interesting, um, I think, is Jamaris Barton. Um, I hope I'm saying that name right. With, with all these new guys, it's it's, it's tough. But uh, he's he's like a six four combo. Could probably play a little point guard. They were posting him him up some in practice, and if, I, I I ended up watching some of his tape. Before. I tried to watch a little bit of tape on the guys before I went down there just to kind of get a familiarity. And I think he was a guy that his high school team posted up a lot. So big, strong guard. Um, I could see Marshall running some interesting stuff for him down the road. Um, Eric Stevenson has a really, 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 really nice shot. I think he'll be a guy that, that eventually is a big time impact guy for, for them. Um, defensively, he's, he's maybe, challenged a little bit at, at this point and I think the the speed of the game will maybe take him a little time to, to, to figure it out but in terms of just being able to shoot the ball and, and, and you know being smooth with the ball in his hands he, he stood out and, and I think you know Ricky Torres is a guy that they expect to, to come in and, and play point guard right away and uh, you know he just looks like from the practice, he looked more comfortable than a lot of guys which is not surprising considering you know he's a Juco guy he's a, he's a junior and uh, the last guy I'd say that, that that stood out to me was um, Jamie Inekwe. Am I saying that right? I think it's Ichinike. So it's that's Ichinike. a tough one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that one's a really tough one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I saw him hit at least one like eighteen footer. Um, had some some nice hooks with I think maybe with both hands down low. You know, nice touch around the basket. Um, he's a guy that I think is Marshall's going to be on to, to play with, with more toughness and, and the physicality of the game. It might take him a little while to, to get used to that, but, but he looks the part. Um, and then, you know, I, I should say one more guy that, that is shocker fans are going to enjoy down the road is, is Teddy Allen. He's, he's the best player in the program. I, from, from at least what I saw in one practice, um, Teddy Allen was the best player on the floor and, um, you know, he's a guy that they, they could use right away, but you know, we'll probably have to wait a year to, to get him. But, um, yeah, T- Teddy's a, 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 just knows how to score the basketball. Um, anybody who watches the Big 12 kind of saw a little bit of that with West Virginia last year. So he's a guy people should definitely be excited about once they get him in the fold. Yeah, and Wichita State with so many new faces, uh, they're so hard to project. And the thing that I'm going to love watching, you know, 
as the season approaches is how all these national analysts uh, try to peg the Shockers. I mean, we've already seen a couple stabs at it. Um, most people have them, you know, in the, in the top five in the American. Andy Katz had them as low as, I think it was eighth or ninth uh, in the conference. Uh, CG, I know the it's it's so early. It seems like Central Florida, I mean, with everything they have back, all the injured stars that, that are returning there, they seem to be kind of the favorite. You know, Cincinnati, Houston, they're not going anywhere. How do you see kind of the, the top of the American kind of uh, playing out, and where do you see Wichita State kind of falling in that mix? Yeah, th- those teams you named I would expect to be at the top. And then after that, I feel like Memphis, maybe even Temple, Connecticut, SMU, and Wichita State are probably all in a tier together. And it, and, and who know, you know, trying to pick how that order those, those teams finish is, is, is going to be really difficult. But with you know with Greg Marshall's reputation and his his history, you you you'd think that they might end up you know near the top of of that list. But um, you know I think some of those other teams are, are going to be in a similar situation where where they've got a lot of turnover and are, are dealing with either new rosters or new coaches. So um, you know those those Cincinnati, Houston, and and uh, UCF, like you said, those those teams should should be the better teams in the league but uh we'll see I, I i don't know that there's like a clear-cut favorite like if, if you had to t- ask me right now i'd probably pick cincinnati to win the league but um it, it's 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 a it's a league that you know wichita state could can if they things come together right they, they could finish in the top half and and be right there for for maybe a tourney berth but yeah it's, it's going to be an interesting year in that league because i think there's a lot of question marks on a lot of teams the NCAA made news last week as they are moving away from the RPI into the new net system. We'll take in more effect of the computer analytics as they look for the seeding and who makes the NCAA tournament. Your thoughts overall on that transition to the new net system? I think it's progress. You know, I, I think the what they described, at least in their release, sounds a lot more like Kim Pomeroy's site to me. Than, than you know way way more like way more advanced way more um, using advanced analytics than the RPI ever did which the RPI was was anybody who covers the sport I think and as you know probably the coaches would tell you as well that was a dated system so I think it's progress it, it, it was it was good to see I wish that they would um, you know Ken Pomeroy has a good article on our site kind of describing um, how it come to how it came together what he'd like to see and one of the things he said was he wishes they would put past seasons, run the numbers for, for those seasons, but, you know, put those teams in their formula and, and show us what it would have spit out. And, and I'd like to see that as well, just because some of the, um, as far as how they're weighting different things, we don't really know. And it'd be nice to see past seasons, um, how that information would, would come out because we're kind of going into it in the dark this year. And last question for you, for our listeners who might not be familiar with The Athletic or all the great content that you guys pump out, just a quick little uh, blurb on, on how you can reach uh, not only the website, but all of the different uh, folks out there covering different teams. Yeah, if you just go to the, the website, even if you just click on my story on, uh, on Twitter from the other day, um, you'll, you'll get, it'll take you the story and then you'll be able to, to click subscribe and, um, you know, it's just less than a uh you know you can get a couple you can get one chipotle burrito 
out of two months of the uh, the price of the athletics. So it's it's you know it's not. I know people are are hesitant to uh, to pay for content, but I hope they'll they'll do it because we've got. I feel like in terms of covering the sport at the college basketball level, nobody is doing it like our site. You know, we've got Seth Davis, Dan O'Neill, Brian Hamilton, um, CL Brown, people that have have covered the sport. Um, for a long time at a, at a national level and, and, and done it really well. And then, you know, we also have great local sites. Um, you know, if you're a Kansas City sports fan, um, we've got a Chiefs beat writer. We've got Rustin Dodd, who covers the Royals, who I think is killing it, honestly. I think <laughs> in terms of you talk about hot sports writers, right, like um, a, a guy that maybe gets on a, uh, you know, is making a bunch of threes in a game, Rustin Dodd's like, on that on that role right now, I think he's he's written great royal stuff this year. Even though the royals have been kind of crummy, it's still been entertaining to to read his stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great content, and if you subscribe, you get it all. You can read all the city sites, you can read all our college football coverage, all our NBA coverage, all our college basketball, all our major league baseball. So, um, I think people, if they give it a chance, they'll, they'll be happy with what they get. Well, once again, I think Shocker fans enjoyed the article this week, and the season will certainly be here in no time so we appreciate you taking the time for our listeners you can follow cj on twitter at cj Moore hoops and as we've mentioned you can read his work at theathletic.com thanks so much cj all right thanks for having me on folks Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Our thanks again to C.J. Moore for joining the show. First segment of the show was focused looking back and all the different players who have left. Now let's focus on who's going to be here for this upcoming season. Taylor, you've had the opportunity to uh, not only cover all of these recruits as they signed with the program and hear some of their stories, but also maybe hear some little nuggets from practice and, and some of these different summer bonding experiences that they've had. So out of the you know 10 overall newcomers to the program, which players have stood out to you? I think uh, kind of like what CJ said, the, the hype inside the program is on Dexter Dennis. And I think you could tell that on signing day when he signed and Coach Marshall basically said, I mean, this guy is an NBA talent. Um, you know, no one was on this guy recruiting wise. I mean, Wichita State got in early and, uh, you know, they kind of got that inside hookup with Coach Waterman. And um, he, you know, you go back to the story I wrote on him and he said, I got a, I got something special for you, Coach. Warm up the jet. And that's what Coach Marshall did. He went down there. Uh, offered him on the spot and you know the rest is history and everything I've heard out of practice is this guy is just bouncy he's 6'5 can play probably the, the two and the three uh, he can defend probably you know uh, up to four positions I'd imagine and you know this guy just has crazy crazy hops you know a lot of fans are going to probably remember that that Twitter clip that the Wichita State basketball team just put out where he he just got up on a dunk I think it was over Asbjorn uh, in practice and, you know, the ball was at, like, the top of the backboard. It was just nuts. I mean, this guy is, you know, Tekel Cotton-like uh, with his athleticism, his explosiveness. And I think uh, it, it really does translate. We've seen some guys with crazy hops in the past, but it hasn't always translated to the game. This guy is a great in-game dunker. He's, you know, he uses that in the game. And uh, he's got a pretty nice shot on him as well from what I've been told. And 
Uh, I think he's probably the number one most exciting guy just because of the potential, uh, just because of the athleticism. Uh, I also like Eric Stevenson, uh, just his mindset. He's just a bulldog. Uh, just the way he plays, his mentality, you know, he's he plays with that Greg Marshall, you know, chip on the shoulder. He plays, you know, he plays angry, and I think fans are going to really take a liking to him. And also, I mean, a lights-out shooter from the outside. Uh, you know, Ricky Tor, like uh, CJ said, you know, the two JUCO transfers probably going to come in and, and start immediately. Uh, Ricky Torres at point guard, that's kind of who they're they're wanting to, to start. And then uh, Jamie uh, Ichinike, it's, I've heard good things about him. 6'11", uh, really mobile. Uh, grew up playing volleyball in Columbia, so he's he, he has, you know, impeccable timing. I think that's going to make him a defensive force and rebounding as well. So I think those two. Um, and then from the, the freshman class, I like Morris Udeze. Uh, he's supposed to be just, you know, that he, he plays below the rim, but, you know, he's a bulldog. He's kind of a little like uh, Shaquille Morris where he just uses that big body to, to kind of bully people down low. And then, like CJ also said, you know, he mentioned Jamarius Burton as well, 6'4 freshman. Uh, they're going to play him at the 3 and the 1 a little uh, to spell Samaje and uh, Ricky Torres at the 1. I think he could be the future at the 1. But right now, this season, he's probably going to play a lot in uh, three-guard sets. A lot has been made about the statistic. The Shockers only return 11.2% of their minutes from last year. Most notably, that would be the new number one on their team, which is Marcus McDuffie. He seems to be the lone leadership voice as far as this young team tries to come together and bond. You had a Part of your article this week was a quote from Marcus on his thoughts overall as how the team is coming together. So do you think he'll you know, continue into that leadership role and, and be able to get to back to maybe where we saw him in his sophomore year. Yeah, I mean, I don't think yeah, he really has a choice just because he's, you know, the only senior on this roster that, that's played significant minutes. Uh, Samaje Hinge-Jones, uh, another senior, and he's he's tried to step up. You know, he just doesn't have that, that big voice like Marcus does. So, you know, Marcus has been there, done that. Uh, he's the only one in the program that's been here longer than two years, and uh, I think all the guys really look up to him. And uh, I mean, he sets the tone for this team, and I think uh, it's just such a, a a change in role for Marcus, where he came here when he was 17 years old. He got you know uh, people put him under his wing, uh, seniors from from past teams, and that senior class last year. I mean, they were basically seniors two years in a row because there wasn't a you know, a big senior class last year, the year before them either. So uh, Marcus is used to, you know, following, uh, always having someone else to, to lead. And I think that's the, the challenge uh, whenever you're you're the guy now. I think he's he's getting used to that. Um, he definitely has, you know, the, the respect from his peers. Uh, he, you know, he's got the voice. It's just a matter of, you know, just maturing as a leader, uh, you know, getting serious, you know, being that guy. You know, he's not going to be, you know, Fred Van Vliet, you know, like that, that deathly serious, like, you know, get stuff done. But, you know, Marcus is going to have to find his own unique way. You know, he's, he's you know, a clown. I mean, he, he loves to laugh. He loves to make other people laugh. Uh, but he has to find a way to, to be able to incorporate that into his leadership style. And I think uh, this team is really going to, you know, take form. you know, it's going to form how he how he kind of leads. And I think, uh, you know, the coaching staff can only do so much. So it's going to take a lot from from that peer leader. And I think Marcus is the guy this year. 
Here in a few weeks, we should have the full schedule, but we have received the non-conference schedule. As far as the regular season is concerned, the Shockers will get started on Tuesday, November 6th at Coke Arena against Louisiana Tech. You have a great game out in Annapolis, Maryland against Providence of the Big East. Obviously, the Charleston Classic should provide some good opportunities. They start off with Davidson. Uh, Baylor is the first Big 12 team to come to Coke Arena in several years. They play OU down in Oklahoma City. And a good game at VCU, who is an old friend. So when you look at the non-conference schedule, maybe what are some of the games that jump out to you? And if you had to give a grade overall, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll just start with the grade. And I think a lot of teams, uh, based, uh, just because they're losing so much uh, talent, I think a lot of teams would have kind of taken a step back in scheduling, especially, you know, since Wichita State upgraded to the American and it's such a big upgrade from the Valley. Uh, I mean, maybe they could have taken this non-conference off, but, you know, you saw Greg Marshall go out and schedule aggressively uh, still. And, you know, that, that Charleston Classic is, you know, if they win that first-round game, they're going to get three very, very high-quality games, uh, probably, you know, Tier 1, Tier 2 games, if you're looking at it from the net perspective. And, uh, you know, this is, like, in terms of what I thought they were going to do, this is this is an A for uh, for me for the non-conference just because they, they go out they get Baylor to come to Coke Arena uh, they're going to OU I mean they're going to VCU um, you know Providence is no joke too they're going to be a really good team they're probably going to be an NCAA tournament team again this season and don't sleep on Davidson they're you know one of the best coaches in the country Bob McKillop and uh, you know they're they have a lot returning and they're going to be a dangerous first round opponent in the Charleston's Classic and then, like I said, I mean, if they they win that one, they're gonna you know see probably Purdue in the second round, and then on day three, you're probably looking at Alabama or Virginia Tech. So, I mean, that's gonna be a, a really really nice tournament for Wichita State if they can win that first round game. And uh, I mean, those are the games that that obviously stick out to you. Uh, the interest bank game kind of loses a little luster this year, going with Southern Miss. Uh, I heard they they really were scrambling to try to find an opponent there. Just wanted to win again, you know, yeah. had that winning streak, and now a couple yeah. of so. yeah, back back to back losses at interest. So maybe want to get back on the winning ways, so fans will stop uh, asking Greg Marshall about the jinx. So. Um, you know that's not you know usually they've they've had that Big 12 opponent come in and be that interest banking game but you know would I would rather play Baylor at Charles Koch Arena where you get the full home court advantage so I think that works out well for the Shockers. We don't have the conference schedule yet, but the AAC has announced its pairings for the year. When we looked at Wichita State's first year in the conference last year, you could tell that, you know, it was expected that they were going to be one of the top teams in the conference, along with Cincinnati and a few others. This year, I, th I think the conference has actually helped them out a little bit. They will play Cincy, UConn. East Carolina, Memphis, SMU, Tulane, and Tulsa twice. But UCF, who we've talked about, is one of the favorites in the conference this year. And Temple will only come to Coke Arena this year. And Wichita State will only go on the road to Houston and South Florida. So overall, I think for being the second year and with as many newcomers as they have, the conference actually helped them out a little bit here. Yeah, it looks like the conference kind of has pegged them, uh, you know, closer to the closer to the Andy Cats. You know, I think that's, you know, in the middle of the pack, maybe even the bottom half because, you know, you look at the teams they only play once, Houston, Central Florida, Temple, all three of those teams are probably going to be, you know, top half teams. Uh, you know, Central Florida and Houston are two of the contenders. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't know if you can take that as kind of a slap in the face from the conference, but, you know, I think they're, they definitely just based on how they did it last year, where they kind of, you know, project these teams and they don't want to give their top teams too many RPI 
you know, killers uh, at the bottom of the conference. And this year, you know, it's kind of the opposite where Wichita State's, you know, they're playing the bottom of the conference uh, twice and uh, they're not playing every team at the top twice. So, uh, yeah, definitely could work in their advantage if they make a run and, uh, you know, not having to play Central Florida uh, at Central Florida, not having to, to, you know, play Houston twice, that could be an advantage if Wichita State figures it out this year. Although I will say top to bottom as a conference, I think all of these teams are difficult outside of maybe UCF and a few others to predict this year. Cincy did lose some some talent on their side as well, so should be an exciting year. One prediction I can be confident in is we're going to have great coverage for you all year long on the Talk Angry podcast. One tradition that has not gone away, the final four quickies. And for the first time today, let's welcome back producer Brian. We'll go right away. First question, which Shocker newcomer are you most excited to see on the court? I'll go with, uh, I'm going to go with my man Dexter Dennis. I want to see, you know, last year we didn't have any crazy slam dunks. Uh, Richard Kelly probably had one that I was like, oh, oh, wow. I think that was. Against Cincinnati? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That one coming down the lane on senior day. Uh, I want to see more. And I think, uh, you know, I think Dexter Dennis is going to get, you know, multiple ones where, you know, probably at the end of the season you can put together a top 10 list of best dunks by Dexter Dennis. And I'm really excited to see this guy go out. I think Wichita State is going to play, you know, a fun, up-tempo style and really get this guy in transition. And uh, he's the guy, just from all the hype that I've heard, I really want to see this guy on the court. After hearing C.J. Moore say that Teddy Allen could be the best player in the program, I almost want to say in 2019 I want to see Teddy Allen. But for now I'll say Eric Stevenson, and I don't know if that's just because I follow him on Twitter, but I just feel like this guy's a dog, and he's got that mentality of, you know, if you're on his team, you're brothers, and he's going to do anything for you. But also, you know, last year's team I felt – you know, was missing that one person who could kind of take the room and say, this is the direction we need to go, and and this is where we need to take care of business, and this is how we need to play defense. So I will say, Mr. Stevenson. So second question, which non-conference game are you looking forward to the most? I'm going to say Baylor, just because I mentioned a Big 12 team hasn't come to Coke Arena in quite some time. It's usually in Trust Bank Arena, or we got to do these neutral site type games. And so I think the fans, uh, because that's a, a name and, and recognition, obviously Coke Arena will have a little more juice to it that night. Uh, a lot of big games that you can pick from, but I'll take Baylor. I think in terms of importance, I think that, that Davidson, the first round game at Charleston, I think that's... Uh, it's going to be very important to, to see kind of how this non-conference is going to go. Um, you know, don't sleep on Providence. I think that's a really, really tough game for just the second game of the season for a really, really young group uh, to go all the way up and play a neutral court game against Providence. Um, but, yeah, going into uh, the tournament, like I said, I mean, if they beat Davidson, uh, they're going to get two more uh, quality games where it doesn't matter if they lose because they're still going to they're still not going to count against them. Uh, but if they lose that first round game, you know, they're going to get stuck with kind of two duds and you know, it might actually end up hurting them on the net. So I think uh, that's that's going to be a very key game. Davidson is a, one of those mid-majors that, you know, they're going to be a Cinderella team. Uh, they're going to be a lot of people that like them in March. So that's going to be a tough game for Wichita State. And I think that's going to be an important one early on. So you did it to CJ. You asked him out of all the places that the Shockers could end up in the AAC standings. You asked him where he thought they'd end up. Where do you guys see Wichita State finishing in the AAC? I think uh, the AAC is going to be a bloodbath this year. There's going to be a lot of losses at the top of the standings. And 
just because of, you know, Marshall's reputation, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt until he doesn't do it. So I'm going to go with uh, third in the conference. I'm, I'm a little optimistic on, on this team and the potential. It is a young team, so I think you could see nights where they beat the top team in the conference. You could also see nights where they lose to the worst team in the conference. That would also remind you of 2013 in that final four year. I'll say fourth just because I I think, you know, I've said this multiple times, I think UCF is going to probably be tops in the conference. They're a veteran team, and they'll bring that consistency that you need every single night in conference. If they can stay healthy. If they can stay healthy, that's a very good point. They've just been, you know, they were ravished last year and the year before, so it's been a tough couple years for them. But uh, I like them and Cincinnati. Addy too. I think those two are probably the, the top two consensus. And then I think after that, it's kind of kind of like what CJ said. It's, you know, pick pick your favorite from a list of five. Mm-hmm. And the, the conference put in three teams to the NCAA tournament last year. I think they can get to a point where they're putting in four. So even finishing in fourth place in the conference would maybe sound like a disappointment to Shocker fans. But I think you're still in the conversation on the bubble, which may lead us to our next quickie. So does the seven-year trend of making the NCAA con- tournament continue to the eighth. Do they make it? Personally, I did not think they deserved a number four seed last year. I thought it was a little high, and they got it maybe on name recognition or just the fact that they had been you know, so consistent over time. So my answer to you is, yes, they make it. I think it could be, you know, obviously as a bubble team here on that third, fourth uh, place in the standings in the AAC. But if they're able to take care of business in the non-con, not lose too many games in conference, I, I mean, that's not anything too earth-shattering there, but I think they will make it for the eighth consecutive year. Yeah, I think the American as a whole is probably down this year compared to what it was last year, but I think they're going to squeak in as that third team. They're going to be on the bubble, I think, you know, as a 10-11 seed. And, uh, you know, Wichita State, if they make it back to the tournament, they're going to be very, very dangerous with, you know, just the success that Coach Marshall has had, uh, the potential of this team. And like I said, I really like what he's done with this roster, all the athleticism and the length on the perimeter. Uh, you know, last year they had a really tough time keeping the ball in front. I think they had the athletes this year to, to do that, uh, to keep the ball in front and, and really get back to that play angry style. So I'm excited to see what this, this season will bring. There will certainly be a lot to talk about, and we'll cover that all year here on Season 6 of the Talk Angry Podcast. Look forward to interacting with all of our listeners all season long. Please remember to follow Taylor on Twitter at Taylor Eldridge. You can read his great work at Candice.com. You can also follow the Talk Angry Podcast on Twitter at Talk underscore Angry. It'll be a great season, and we look forward to bringing you great coverage all season.